Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. And we're back. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show, continuing on into a third century of episodes in spite of absolutely astonishing popular demand. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'll be your host tonight. And alongside me as ever is my faithful sidekick, Tony Kerr. No. Sidekick. Well. Just because you do the intro. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to take over, mate. I keep suggesting that you do the intro, but uh, you're a bit nervous about it, <laughs> a bit scared. A bit hesitant. Well, it's not that. It's not as easy as I make it look. How's it going anyway, the sweet time? Good, thanks. Did you have a good weekend? Excellent, thank you. Yeah, really good. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant news. Should we move on? That's fantastic news. Well, actually, uh, I saw you on uh, Saturday night. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know if you, I don't know if you remember this. Or I remember whether, it well. Whether, uh, Go on then. We went for dinner at a Chinese restaurant, a local Chinese restaurant called China Red. With uh, there was quite a lot of us, wasn't there? It was about, about too many of us. For yeah, the table. <laughs> it was literally too many. How many of us were there? About fifteen on a table that's seated probably nine or ten, yeah, comfortably. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a squash, wasn't it? And uh, it, it was for no real reason either. Like quite a few people that I sort of mentioned it to, I was like, "Oh, do you want to come to China Red Saturday?" They're like, "Yeah, sounds good." I was like, "Yeah, there's going to be quite a few of us there." They're like, oh, brilliant, what's the occasion? It's like, well, the occasion is let's go to China yeah, Red. why do you need an occasion? <laughs> do, you ne- do you never need an occasion for Chinese food? Or any kind of food, really, as far as I'm concerned. Well, absolutely. And it was a lovely evening. I was having a, a fantastic time. Uh, right up until what I've come to think of as Brillgate. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, basically what happened was, uh, as we were ordering the food, you at the sort of last minute just said to me, oh, Adam, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about ordering this Brill off the menu. <laughs> I had some turbot done in the same fashion last time. It was it was delicious. I don't know if you want to maybe get in with me on the brill. I was like, yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah, let's go for that. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. It was really nice. But then as we came to pay the bill, I was sort of uh, sorting out my cash and putting the cash down. And you went, oh, by the way, uh, Adam, you know that the brill was 25 quid. I was like, what? That's an astonishing amount of money for something that I had about six mouthfuls of. I don't know how, well, you should have had more. <laughs> I, it was quite a big piece of brill, though. Yeah, it was a... It was a chunk of fish i mean i thought it would be about 12 quid maybe you just don't know your fish i don't know my fish i don't even eat fish you eat fish <laughs> i do eat fish you don't know the cost you don't know the price of fish yeah but that, what i'm saying to you is that the price of fish is not that much <laughs> a, a price of the price of brill is not 25 pounds in anywhere other than that restaurant a ridiculous man i had to phone like angela merkel before i could uh, <laughs> phone christine lagarde arrange a bailout before i could uh, settle the bill the trouble is with Chinese kind of food, isn't it, is that there's so much of it, so many different dishes, and you want them all. Right. Uh, so I invariably overorder. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I'd already picked two or three dishes, main dishes, to begin with, and I just saw the brill. I was like, right, someone come in on the brill. <laughs> uh, and I kind of just rent for you, and you 
I don't know, you took the bait. Yeah, well, you sort of panic, don't you, when you're ordering food that you think, like, oh, yeah, we're all going to be sharing it around and stuff. So you're like, yeah, we'll add that, we'll add that, we'll add a wonton soup, why not? <laughs> you ordered, like, three or four dishes as your main, and that followed a whole duck, which is shared between about five of you as well. So. Well, four of us, in fact, yeah. Four of you, wow, yeah. And see, I got annoyed about that because you were, as the food was arriving, you were trying to make fun of me. You were trying to spin some, like, <laughs> comedy bit to impress all the other people at the table by saying that I'd ordered loads of food. You were like, oh, have you have you got enough food there, mate? I'm like, oh, no, guys, you've still got to wait for a few of Adam's dishes. I had a bit of brill, about five mouthfuls of brill, some tofu, some asparagus, and some rice, and that was it. And you had, like, four... Four main dishes and duck. <laughs> I, well, no, what's that? And you were, all the, you were there like, oh, got, you got to wait for some more of Adam's dishes. <laughs> got a good laugh, though. Yeah, yucking it up laugh. with all your little mates on that side <laughs> of the table. <laughs> Everyone was loving it. Having a great time. Yeah. Unbelievable. I do often try and do that. <laughs> it's just get in there, you know, launch an attack first. Preemptive. Preemptive strike. Uh, no, it's, it was a nice, nice little meal. Well, anyway, what's coming up on the show this week, Tony? Uh, do you want me to answer that? <laughs> the answer is you would. it's going to be the first part of our exciting Ashes preview and today we're going to be talking about England, Australia next week, England this week but that's not the only test cricket that's going on around the world right now. We're also, if there's time, which hopefully there will be, uh, we're also going to be reflecting on India's win over the West Indies in Kolkata. That of course was the penultimate game in the career of one Mr Tendulkar. I don't know if you've heard about that, Tone, but he is retiring pretty soon. Of course, the uh, the next game in that series is going to be his last game, uh, and that is going to be his 200th test. So he's getting to 200, and then he's drawing a line under it all. Tone, this is episode 201 of the World Cricket Show, so we've kind of outdone him, haven't we? We've kind of uh, beaten him. We've beaten Tendulkar. Better than Sachin. I'm thinking about making the subtitle of this episode, episode 201, f*** you, Sachin. <laughs> Ashes. Ashes, 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 ashes. The ashes are back, Tone. The ashes are back. There are nine days to go. You thought there were ten days on the way here. You were like, oh, I can't believe there's ten days to go to the ashes. I said nine days and you almost freaked out. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there are ten you days. You almost crashed the car. Well, I've done the maths, mate. It's the 11th today and it starts on the 21st. Yeah, but that's Australia time, mate. Wow. You're not thinking about the time difference, mate. No, that's... Well... Mate, you're not thinking about the time difference. Well, hang on, no, it's... Okay, well, it's ten days tomorrow, isn't it? Yes, but... Nine days but tonight. But, mate, what I'm saying to you, mate, is you're not thinking about the time difference. Okay. Because... Anyway, it's, it's nine... Nine, da- nine days from now, we're, we're going to be on the sofa watching the sky build-up. Not precisely now. I would not be surprised if Sky do, like, an eight-hour <laughs> build-up. Okay, so we agreed. It's nine or ten days till the start of the ashes. <laughs> we're agreed. <laughs> It's not something you have to agree on. It's just a fact that it's nine days to go. I mean, it's less than that by the time people are listening to this, of course. Yeah. So, so it's, it's a moot point. Isn't so it? what we're saying is I should probably edit this bit out of the show in post. See, I've been trying to work out my sleep schedule for this winter tone. I don't know if uh, you've been in the same thing, because to be honest, I'm a little bit worried about it. I don't know quite how I'm going to manage, because uh, I'm obviously going to have to watch the ashes. But how is that going to allow me to continue living my life? It's not, is the short answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's going to be, just put it this way, the next three months are going to be pretty testing, aren't they, on the yeah. body? Well, I do remember, yeah, the tour three years ago, I was just walking around like a zombie all winter. Like I so said, I think the way to do it is to come in from work and go to bed, go straight to bed and sleep for like four or five hours if possible. That works, but it's not a great 
thing for like the other people in your life, is it particularly? Because it's just go to work, come home, go to bed immediately. Them. And then just then just stay up all night watching cricket. Oh, um, oh God. Oh, it's actually causing me brain yeah. pain. On a more positive note, I've, I have managed to uh, stock up on cereal. That should keep me going at least. What have you gone for this winter? Rice Krispies. Same as last winter. Yeah, same as every. Oh, lots changed. Same as, <laughs> lots changed in same as every years. day of my life <laughs> since I was born, pretty much. Come on, you can't still be having Rice Krispies. Oh, so good. I'm literally addicted. They they are keeping me alive. I think. It's nothing. It's, it's empty though. It's empty food, isn't it? It's just a bunch of dust, wet dust. Do you put sugar on? Mate. Just, Unbelievable. I do put milk on, otherwise that really would be <laughs> depressing, wouldn't it? You are mad. Sometimes a bit of banana. You're not going to eat Rice Krispies for breakfast and then have them as well during the test, surely? <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Possibly. Jesus. Well, to be honest, what I'll probably do is have toast for breakfast, <laughs> Rice Krispies in the middle of the night. Anyway, people mental. have come here, people have come here mental. for our Ashes preview, haven't they? So <laughs> Ashes lunch preview. Maybe we should uh, go on to do that. So as I say, we're, uh, we're going to be talking about Australia next week. This week, England, as they're the other team that contests the Ashes. Uh, so Tony, now that you've had a couple of months to reflect on it, what is your feeling about England's performance in the Ashes this summer? They obviously copped quite a lot of criticism, even though they won that series 3-0. In your view, did they get away with a, a, a fairly poor performance because they were playing an even poorer team? Uh, or do they deserve more credit for what they did than they perhaps received? There are quite a lot of cliches, aren't there, that you can get into this. Yeah. You know, the, 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 one of the most annoying cliches is yeah, it's a sign of a good team when you win when you're not playing well. And yeah. they, people apply that to any and every sport. Uh, and it's just, I'm just bored of it, really, so I'm not going to use that one. But yeah, they, they were the better team going into it we knew they were the better team uh, and they they edged it in the end as we talked about at length there were some there were some key moments that sh- which had had they gone the other way probably would have swung the final result maybe slightly closer to uh even but yeah i think i, I think england can be pretty pleased with what they did and I'll, they'll be confident and i'm pretty confident they're going to win this series i think at the start of the summer i predicted six two I can't remember, to be honest. We're, Across the 10. We're going to have to go back and listen to the tapes. Well, I think I predicted 3 nil. What did I predict? 3 nil or 4-0 in the summer? Oh, God. I think you predicted 4 nil. Okay, so sorry, I predicted 7-2, I think. Yeah, that's, that because rings a bell. Because I predicted 3-2 yeah. to England in the winter. Okay. Are you uh, sticking by that? No. <laughs> right. 3-1 to England. Wow, you're even more confident. Why? <laughs> So I want to go for, mate. <laughs> uh, you know, England went, went a million miles away, I don't think, from 4 nil this summer, were they? Well, they weren't. No, certainly they were one number away from four <laughs> one, nil. One integer. <laughs> one digit, and also they were they, as it turned out, came incredibly close to winning that game, at the Oval. They just kind of run out of time, didn't they? But that was because Australia had had, had declared probably sooner than they would have done had they not been chasing a result. I do think that there's pretty much no doubt that Australia were getting closer to England as that series went on. Certainly from Old Trafford onwards, there wasn't too much to choose between the teams. Um, and England only won one of those final three games. And clearly, a number of England players did have pretty average series. And in fact, the word average is, is probably quite generous uh, in describing Cook and Root and Trot and Pryor. So, so I think that Australia were, were getting closer, but they weren't close enough, were they? And they, they weren't able to win any of those matches. And, and in some ways, it is quite strange just how positively Australia seemed to be feeling coming out of that series because, you know, ultimately they lost the Ashes 3 0, which 
has to go down as a bad result. So yeah, for you, do England still start this series as favourites? Are they are they as heavy favourites as they were at the start of the the series in the summer? Obviously, it's in Australia. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's got to be a big factor. But clearly, this Australian side isn't the great Australian side. It doesn't I don't need to say that. I've, I've said it. I don't really need to say it. So yeah, I'll, I'll cut that. Cut as well. that if you want. Uh, <laughs> But the way that England won last time down under kind of was so categoric that as to be just to almost wipe away that history almost immediately, I think. And I, I think Australia should be fearful. If that happens again, it's big problems, isn't it? Well, it's going to be a big worry. Well, I agree. But the question is, brilliant though that series was, you know, as an England fan... Are England as good a team now as they were then, and are Australia as bad a team now as, as they were then? I'm not. I'm just asking questions, Tony. I'm not giving you, <laughs> That's you, do, I'm not giving you, you the answer. Give me answers. I'm just asking that question. Well, because you can't assume that it's going to turn out in the same way. No, and I'd probably say no to both of those. But I'd say the gap is still sufficient that England, England can go and win this series comfortably if they want, if they if they put it together. Like you say, it, it, it's slightly strange how positive Australia were coming out of it because. It's not like the first Ashes series that they lost in 2005, where they could have been, you know, they had every reason to be probably quite positive coming out of that, in a sense, because they lost a close series and they didn't know what, well, they could have predicted probably what was going to follow in the next few years, but they didn't know. But having not had the Ashes in their in their hold for quite a few years now. Six years. Six years. Seven years. Seven years. I'll, I'll cut that <laughs> out. I mean, not, I'll cut that bit out. Not just, Seven years. Seven years. Actually, that's not true either, is it? Because, of course, well, that's the, seven years ago is when they something. last won them. Anyway. And they possessed them until yeah. 2009. I'll cut all of that out. Cut it all out. <laughs> so it's four and a bit years since they last possessed them. It feels quite a long time, doesn't it? And it feels like England have won quite a few series. Three series. Yeah. Uh, and four of the last five. Yeah. So, in that sense, the positivity is quite sad, isn't it, really? <laughs> we, should be too we should pity them, really, yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah, well... I don't know. I mean, you know, England had it pretty bad for a number of years, so I don't, I don't feel sorry for them. Uh, but they, you know, a lot of the positivity I think came from one or two performances. You know, Ryan Harris looks pretty good. It's probably not enough to hang an Ashes series on, but you know, they, they were kind of slightly clutching at straws a bit. Well, yeah, I agree with you about Harris, but it's not just Harris. I mean, the the whole bowling attack was actually pretty effective in the summer, and I think that's the key difference between now and that 2010 series is that. The Australian bowling attack three years ago was was really quite average. Uh, you know, Doherty is the lead spinner. Ben Hilfenhaus was there. Siddle wasn't nearly as good then as he is now. Mitchell Johnson spraying it around. For that reason, it was very, very difficult for them to take 20 wickets. But now the Australian bowling attack is actually very strong. It's the batting that's the problem. But that bowling attack is so strong that they're going to be in the game all the time. Like There's, there's always a possibility that they're going to take 20 English wickets, a very strong possibility that they're going to take 20 English wickets. And if they do do that, then you've got to think that they're, they've got a pretty decent chance of winning some matches. Um, so I do think that uh, this series is probably going to be closer than it was in 2010. I still think England are favourites. I think they're a better cricket team and therefore are favourites. But I do have some concerns about the England team at the moment. Let's get those concerns out of the way. Uh, the first one is the injury list. Kevin Peterson has had to fly to Melbourne to have an injection uh, of cortisone for his knee. He tweeted afterwards, I am fine, in capital letters. But, you know, clearly that's that's a little bit worrying. 
given that he, he missed some test matches earlier this year because of his knee. Meanwhile, Matt Pryor looks pretty unlikely to make the first test. Tim Bresben, Bresben? Tim Bresnan even less likely. Pryor's absence would be a huge blow, wouldn't it? I mean, I, I've just mentioned what a rubbish series he had in England, but you wouldn't expect that to happen again. I mean, he's been such an important player for England over the last few years, and I can't actually remember the last time that he missed a test. I'm not sure that he's missed one since he went home from the Caribbean almost five years ago for a paternity leave. Um, since then, I think he's played every game. I wish there was some way to find out, <laughs> but there just isn't. Uh, but it looks like uh, Johnny Bairstow is going to have to take the gloves, and that doesn't fill me with confidence, I have to say. I mean, Bairstow isn't entrusted with the gloves even in one-day cricket. They give them to Joss Butler, who's not a flawless wicketkeeper either. So you've got to think that they probably should have brought a backup wicketkeeper, a proper backup wicketkeeper with them in the squad as Steve Davis or a Chris Reid. And that's very easy to say in hindsight because, of course, you're not expecting prior to get injured. But they did bring Steve Davis three years ago. They'll no doubt be ruining the fact that they haven't this time. Peterson probably will play in Brisbane. My concern for him is is slightly more long-term. He does seem to be getting injured more and more, doesn't he? He missed some cricket in New Zealand. He missed the home series against New Zealand. I would not be stunned if he retired from Test cricket after this series. I really hope he doesn't, but I, I wouldn't be that surprised. Bresnan's absence means that uh, one out of... Did I say Bresnan again? <laughs> not sure. No, I think you said Bresnan that time. I'm just paranoid now. <laughs> Bresnan's absence means that one out of Tremlett, Rankin and Finn is going to have to partner Anderson and Swan. Who would you like it to be out of those three? Who would I like it to be? Yeah. I don't, I, do you know what? I don't mind. Okay. Uh, who, who do you think uh, it's going to be? Uh, so run through it again. <laughs> well, the whole spiel? Yeah, yeah just the, go back to the top. Okay, so Peterson's injured. Uh, no, uh, uh, Tremlett, Rankin or Finn are the three. I mean, Tremlett played in Hobart, suggesting that perhaps he's at the, the head of the queue. He's the next cab off the rank. But he didn't have a great game in Hobart, so who knows? Mm. I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't really mind. I don't I know. Don't, who I didn't play expect either. this to be such a difficult question, I'll be honest. I don't know. Who are they going to play? You tell me. Well, as I say, it's just a run through that game. It looks like Tremlett's at the head of the queue, but he didn't set the world alight in Hobart. In fact, far from it. I mean, at times he was, he was barely getting the ball above 80 miles an hour uh, and bowling fairly sort of loopy half follies now it's possible that he'll get going a bit as the tour mm. goes on but I'm not convinced that he should have been brought to Australia I mean I love Chris Tremlett in a platonic way but <laughs> it strikes me that it's not much more than wishful thinking on the part of the selectors to bring him they desperately want him to do what he did last time uh, the trouble is he's just not the same bowler now that he was then and that's unfortunate but it is true uh, you know, three years ago, he was selected in the squad off the back of an outstanding domestic season. He was bowling fast. He was brilliant when he got an opportunity in the warm-ups. He was just demanding to be selected. And that isn't the case now. He's had so many injuries in the last couple of years. You know, he played about six games in a row after that Ashes series, got injured, came back, played one test, got injured, finally worked his way back to fitness, but just isn't the same bowler, I don't think. Uh, so I wouldn't trust him to play in this first test, I have to say. I mean, I've said this before, but personally, I would have brought Onions and played him. Out of the three that are there, I think I'd have to go for Rankin. I mean, in my opinion, he's not one of the three best seam bowlers available to England at the moment, but he's probably better than Tremlett right now, and he's probably better than Finn right now. His, his confidence looks shot to pieces. I mean, again, went about five and over in the warm-up games. So. And I think you've just articulated kind of why I don't mind, right. because you know, the three are, I wouldn't say high risk, but 
there's a risk over any one of those three playing, you've got to hope that either the gamble pays off or the other the other bowlers in the attack do the business. Pretty confident the other bowlers in the attack will do the business. So there's an there's a good opportunity for them to to uh, to contribute kind of a useful few overs here for the, for this bowler who comes in. So I, I think there's, it's all to win and little to lose. For me, I think ranking is is the best of a, a, a somewhat uninspiring bunch. Um, top of the ranking. Tables. Yeah, <laughs> he's the top ranking of those bowlers. T- uh, so that's one area of concern. The other area of concern is the batting, which at times in the summer, well, in fact, largely throughout the summer, <laughs> yeah. was struggling. And you know, some of those Australian bowlers did appear to have the wood over quite a number of England's batsmen. And in fact, England's batting returns have been decreasing over the last few years, not just in that series. I mean, since that prolific summer of 2011, uh, when they piled on the runs against India, they have been struggling to put first innings titles on the board. I think it's the case that they've been bowled out for less than 200 on exactly the same number of occasions that they've managed to score above 400, uh, which isn't great. Now, they're back in Australia, of course, seen of their, their zenith as a batting unit. Do you expect them to return to that sort of form that they showed in 2010-11, you know, the cooks and the trots of this world eating runs for breakfast? Or uh... It's quite hard to say. I mean, Jonathan Trott needs a big series, doesn't he? Joe Root also, I would suggest. Yeah, uh, there is a weird thing in cricket, isn't there, how players seem to, players' form seems to just kind of switch series to series. Obviously, there's not that much time passed between these two Ashes series, so quite what will have changed in the minds of the England batsmen, I don't know. But things are promising. I mean, they didn't have a huge amount to deal with in these warm-up games, but for Cook to go and lay on 150, however many more he might have laid on had the rain not got in the way, is pretty promising, you'd have to say. Well, Trot and Bell got hundreds as well, and Carberry. And Carberry. And I think I think Trot, well, I think Cook certainly, you've got to back him. He is going to score a lot of runs this winter. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of it. Like I say, Trot definitely needs an innings. I don't know whether he's going to do it. Bell was in f- unbelievable form in the summer, so I, I think England's batting attack looks pretty solid. The interesting thing with Trot in the summer is that he looked in great form most of the time. He just kept getting out. He kept getting to 20, 30, 40 and getting out. And uh, that's kind of the opposite of how he used to be, where you know he, he looked, it looked pretty painful at times, but he just wouldn't get out and uh, you know grind his way to, uh, to big hundreds. We said this at the time, but I do worry slightly that he's taken some of that criticism a little bit to heart and is trying to be more fluent, is trying to be a bit more flashy, and, and that's costing him his wicket. So hopefully he's gone away over the last few months and remembered what it was that made him such a great test batsman in the first place. And I would love it if this winter I'm falling asleep on the sofa because Jonathan Trott is batting so boringly. That would be spilling your Bryce Krispies. <laughs> that would be great from my perspective. Yeah, um, I guess one of the things in England you wonder is is, is the motivation there. I don't, you know, obviously now they've done. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. 
Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A number of Ashes series victories. They've done the winning. Last time they went to Australia, it was unbelievable. And can they kind of get up for it? so soon after the summer given that they didn't look as we said completely convincing in the summer and Australia presumably will be desperate to avoid anything other than a competitive series at least this winter I don't know that, that's probably the one concern I would have yeah and they're not great front runners are they I mean the, the, the times when England have been best in the last few years is when they've been going into it either as underdogs or as even I'm thinking the last time they went to Australia when they played India at home when they went to India you know they were underdogs for that series that's when they were fantastic but whenever they're going into a series as big favourites they they sometimes struggle to live up to that label and there is a sense now that they've got everything to lose when they when they came to Australia three years ago they didn't have much to lose but but now that's not quite the case is it, it it's almost the case that winning will be a relief uh, and anything less will be a huge disappointment that brings its own pressure doesn't it yeah I mean the, the counter to that is uh, you know I've, I've very much admire Andy Flair and I think if there's anyone who's going to be kind of on the money it'll be him with this team so yeah as an England fan pretty confident yeah and it probably sounds like I'm being unnecessarily negative there I mean it, it does it's it's certainly possible to identify some shortcomings in this England team and I've just identified them but the question is whether those are big enough shortcomings to stop them from winning this particular series and it may well just be the case that they have enough world-class players that they are capable of beating Australia, regardless of these issues that are in the team, of beating this Australian side anyway. And if Anderson, Swan, Cook, Bell, Peterson, you know, have have decent series, then they almost certainly will have too much for Australia. And and that's the key difference between this uh, between the teams, I think. And it's a it's a pretty basic difference. But England just have more good players than Australia, and so in the summer they could afford for Cook and Trot and Pryor to have shocking series because their failures were sort of absorbed by the rest of the players. Whereas for Australia, if Clark and Harris have bad series, then they've got absolutely no chance, have they? So just from a sort of percentages point of view, you've got to put England as favourites. Once again, Graham Swan could well be the key player, because capable though Nathan Lyon is, Australia simply don't have a spinner in, in Swan's class, do they? No, exactly. And of course, the DRS looks like it'll be in place with all the bells and whistles, uh, which will be to England's favour. Obviously, because it's fixed uh, in England's favour. So, that, you know, that's got to be a positive yeah. uh, for England fans to take out of this uh, build-up. It'd be quite interesting to see what the kind of support is like for the Aussie team. I don't know how Australian cricket fans kind of where their psyche is at the moment, how they're kind of going to react to a team hosting England off the back of straight defeats. But again, though, there seems to be a surprisingly positive mindset about the Australian team, a surprisingly yeah. positive feeling about what happened in the summer. Which is, you know, no bad thing. You don't, want, you don't sort of want them to be hating the team no. or anything. But uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they get quite a lot of support. How do you think Stuart Broad's going to cope with the uh, the ribbing that is no doubt going to come his way? I don't think you'll mind. That that did annoy me. I think I talked about it last week. Yeah. That the kind of first build up it was just still about the Broad dismissal, which I no longer care about <laughs> at this point. Uh, yeah, I think you'll probably, I think you'll probably be fine. Is a temperamental fellow, uh, so if he does get quite fired up, I think could. But equally, he's liable to do something stupid again, mm. isn't he, or something controversial? 
I, I just I was reading earlier the uh, reading about Michael Clark's Ashes Diary that he's released. Right. Have you seen this? No. Go on. But I just wondered why. It just struck me as quite an odd thing to do. So is it a book? It's a book where he reflects on the summer's ashes. Okay. It's only, it only about two months. <laughs> that seems a bit pointless. Cashing in yeah. springs to mind on that one. I like the idea of him being like, I remember I, <laughs> yeah. I think it was at Trent Bridge where... Uh, yeah. But that happens all the time. I mean, England players do that. Like, yeah. But a month after the end of the last Ashes, you know, Strauss brought out a book, <laughs> How I Won the Ashes Down Under. You know. I mean, but I guess we're in a slightly unique situation of having this back-to-back Ashes, which at the, when it was kind of announced seemed like the best thing ever. Uh, I mean, it is going to be quite exciting. I mean, it's great. It's great to to have another Ashes series, but it's just, it's quite strange that uh, it was quite flat in the summer. Mm. So whether there'll be a bit more spark this winter, I don't know. I, I predicted that at the start. I think there, I think there might be. I think it's going to be. Well, it's looking like a uh, like it should be a closer series, isn't exciting. it? So as a result of that, it should be. You're not really in any position to criticise people for bringing out books so hastily, given that uh, Tony Kerr, 200 episodes and counting, <laughs> is available in uh, all good bookstores now. Well, the, actually, the Kindle edition was out last week. <laughs> so, yeah, Tony, there's, there's nine days to go. We've established that there's nine days to go. I think we've agreed on this now. Is there still time for us to get to Brisbane? I mean, physically, yes. If Depending we... on whether we've got this days thing right, you know. Probably turn out there's like two days to go. <laughs> if we, <laughs> we turn up at uh, the Gabba and there's still five days before the test starts and we have to come home. That would be a bit of a shame. Yeah. I'd like to go. Yeah. I'd like to go. I guess money's his issue, isn't it? I've spent all this money on Brill. Uh, I don't know if I you can afford... You blew your Brisbane budget on Brill. <laughs> I don't know if I could afford a plane ticket. Yeah. We'll, we'll have Messrs Willis and... Colville to keep us company on the verdict, presumably. Is the verdict coming back? I would imagine so, yeah. Maybe, I, I thought, I thought it was quite interesting that Sky were, were doing live coverage of the warm-up games. I don't know if they've done this in previous years. I don't think they have. Uh, I think one of them last time was televised. Really? Yeah, I remember, I, remember, I remember watching that. <laughs> well, I don't think they're doing the final warm-up game live. Okay. But certainly did, they did the first two. Mm. Uh, I didn't see the first one. I watched a little bit of the second one, but then the rain... But I just I thought it was quite a bold move to, to to cover days of warm-up cricket ahead of days of the Ashes. Yeah, I think they might be repeating themselves a few times. <laughs> I don't know what the coverage was like. I, are they going like to know? Are they going to bring back Sky Sports Ashes? That's the key question because you loved that last time. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't appear. It's not like it's not there, is it? At the Sky moment. Sky Spashes. Sky Spashes. Uh, that'd be interesting to see what they do. Well, aren't, uh, aren't the BBC repeating the full day of live commentary during daylight hours, I think? I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I believe so. I Probably mean, not going to listen to that. I mean, that seems fairly preposterous, isn't it? Cause, like, <laughs> we've talked about this before. Sport is only interesting because it's live. I mean, you can watch highlights because you want to you catch up. But it's like you know what happened. But, like, the idea of watching live sport but not live, to me, is just really weird. And even weirder to be listening to it. Yeah, bit of a nonsense that I think. Bit of just it's weird. And why would you like? Don't pretend that the ashes is on during the day, really, because that that's what. That's... <laughs> Do you think they're going to pretend? <laughs> and now live to Brisbane. <laughs> like one yeah. of the one of the kind of nice one of the cool things about England or about tours where you know your team's not playing in your time zone is, is getting up in the middle of the night, sitting down when it's freezing cold outside yeah. and seeing like the glorious vivid blue and green of like the Australian Test venues. Ah. I'm, I really want to be there. Getting your doona out. Yeah, exactly. I've, got, I've got a brand new doona <laughs> for this winter. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> just, just see me at the supermarket the other day. Six boxes of Rice Krispies and a new doona. A new doona. It's going to be some winter. <laughs> around the world now, on which we talk about things that have been happening around the world. So, people in India are gearing up for Sachin Tendulkar's final test match, which will begin on Thursday against the West Indies in Mumbai. India are 1-0 up in the series after winning in Kolkata. In truth, the West Indies were pretty well flattened there. Um, actually, they got off to a, a decent start in the game. They were 138 for two at one point, but did collapse a bit to 234 all out. Debutant Mohammed Shami taking four for 71. Then India were in all kinds of trouble when they were 83 for five and then 156 for six. But a debut hundred from Rohit Sharma, 177, and a second test hundred for Ravi Ashwin batting at number eight, 124. Uh, meant that they ended up 453 all out, which was a first innings lead of 229. West Indies were going along pretty comfortably uh, at 101 for one, but then there was another dramatic collapse and they were 168 all out. Mohamed Shami taking 5 for 47 to give India the win by an innings and 51 runs. So that was the cricket zone and notable things there are the, the debut 100 for Sharma, the runs for Ravi Ashwin, the strong debut from Mohamed Shami, nine wickets in the game. Obviously India have been waiting for a very long time for a decent fast bowler to come along, so that's an encouraging debut for him, certainly. But really the cricket is a bit of a sideshow, isn't it? It's all about Tendulkar. He could only manage 10 in the one innings that he batted. Everyone's just crossing their fingers that he can he can put something together for this final game. Well, it's going to be quite interesting to see just how both sets of players behave. Like you say, a bit of a shame that he only batted once, and it went a sense, although would anyone really have liked to see another 10? I don't know. <laughs> so for me, it wasn't a shame. Maybe we're spared. But yeah, that's going to be, it's going to be pretty nuts, isn't it? Tickets went on sale today. The Mumbai Cricket Association are only selling tickets online, and yeah, they only open the sales today, which is just three days before the game, which seems... A bit mad. I mean, obviously, it's an incredibly difficult thing to organise and to try and control exactly what happens. And they're only doing it online because they said they didn't want to sell tickets at the venue because they thought there'd be a crush, which is probably true. But to only do it three days before, I mean, I don't know. Is that is that the right way to go about it? On the surface, not coming from a kind of promotions background. <laughs> uh, My father was in promotions. His father before him. This kind of him. seems like the, well, the easiest sell, obviously, in, in ticketed event history uh, in many ways, but also kind of difficult. And I do have some sympathies. I don't know the ins and outs of what the, the kind of their decisions, but clearly they didn't want like hundreds of people to die in a stampede. Yeah, which yeah. Is, presumably which, that's you know, not what they wanted. That wasn't yeah. top of their list. Yeah. Uh, Second, you know, and trying to sell one stadium out for a few days in a in a country as populous and as where cricket is as popular as India, you know, not easy. So I, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know the answer. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Because you know, this test match is going to be completely sold out and you know oversubscribed for all five days, and probably the next test match India play, no one will go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's going to be quite a juxtaposition. In fact, you know. That is making this a very strange test series. It's one of the strangest test series that I can remember. I can't remember a series where the cricket has been so comprehensively overshadowed. And it, usually I get annoyed about that. Like, I mean, we talk about this a lot, but like, so when Jimmy Anderson got 300 wickets, got his 300th wicket, and Bob Willis at the time was like, well, that's the only thing I'll remember from this game. <laughs> and that annoyed me, and it still annoys me now because it's, it's ridiculous. It's like, why are you watching this if that's all you care about? But then I was thinking about it, and like, 
individual stats and records just are more significant in the long run, aren't they? I mean, that's one of the very strange things about cricket and sport in general is that you care so much about the game when you're watching it, but the years go by and you forget, whereas the records and the stats do last, don't they? And, you know, in particular moments as well. So, like, no one really remembers or cares who won the 1993 Ashes, Australia, but everyone remembers Warren's Ball of the Century from then. Like, that, it's things like that last a lot longer, which kind of makes me wonder why I watch sports, <laughs> I have to say. Yeah, why you do anything there, really. That's like saying, you know, not that I'm comparing cricket to the discovery of gravity. Right. But, you know, like, okay, and this clearly isn't the case. <laughs> but, like, that's like, like you, know, you know where I'm going with this. Such a weird thing. sentence. <laughs> not that I'm comparing cricket to the discovery of gravity, but... But, like, no one really remembers... Most people only remember Newton for the apple thing, <laughs> yeah. don't they? That's the only thing they remember him for, which is fair enough, because it was a pretty major discovery. And yeah. quite a major... Probably, you would say a turning point in... <laughs> Yeah. Human history, right? Uh, but no one remembers what else he did. I mean, some people do. Yeah, I don't. I'm sure he did other. Th- oh yeah, I, I could I could easily look it up. I guess he had a uh, fierce googly as well. <laughs> Newton. Yeah. No one. Will, no one will forget the ball he delivered to. Don't know. He was around Francis at the same Bacon. time. <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, it's kind of dismissed Copernicus with a <laughs> sharply rising delivery. <laughs> But the point being that there is only room in history for very for very few things, aren't there? Really, like in the long run. Yeah. Just there's so much of it. Yeah, no, but my, <laughs> my point is that I was just like annoyed with Willis for saying that the only thing he'll remember is Anderson getting his 300th wicket. And I, I guess it's because Anderson getting 300 wickets isn't that big of a deal. But it is true that like already I barely remember <laughs> much about that New Zealand series. Whereas, you know, individual players' stats do stay in the mind in the long term and... But then, are we just watching stats? Are we just watching people rack up stats? People like that. People like stats, though, don't they? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I'll give you that. I'll concede that point, too. Much like the new John Lewis Christmas advert, this episode of The World Cricket Show has brought the entire country to a standstill as everybody cries rivers of tears (laughs) over it. As such, it's probably about time to bring it to an end. Did you cry, Tone? Did you cry? If you didn't cry, then you're a robot. It's the John Lewis Christmas advert. It's mandatory. You've got to cry. I didn't cry. We've been to this before. The last time I cried was King Kong, the remake. (laughs) I've forgotten about that. So for people who've not seen this advert, the John Lewis Christmas advert, if you're not in the UK, it's sort of like a... uh, It's become a thing now, hasn't it? It's it's, it's got no right to become a thing. It's become a thing where everyone eagerly anticipates what it's going to be. I mean, this is only the third year where they've you know, had a major Christmas advert, really. It's faintly tragic that, yeah. uh, on many levels, isn't it? Because how, I mean, there's many levels to this argument, but how, many, how an advert can become a thing. And it's so formulaic, isn't it? It's just like light emotion yeah. well, they, of, in the kind of the story of it with a really formulaic, they've got this formula now where they get an artist to cover another artist's song in a really similar style every year. But different to the original. Yeah, in a kind of like, like mopey, kind of skimmed down, yeah, like stripped back cover. Yeah, uh, which invariably will be number one. Well, it's Lily Allen singing "Keen" this year, isn't it? Which is two rights don't, yeah, <laughs> two wrongs don't make a right. Basically, <laughs> on that. So. Yeah. Well, the advert, if you've not seen it, it's the animated tale of a a bear who always misses Christmas every year because he's hibernating, and his friend the hare leaves him a present in his cave, which turns out to be an alarm clock. The alarm wakes him up, the bear comes out and sees the Christmas tree and the animals all enjoying Christmas, and he's overcome with emotion, 
and it says Merry Christmas from John Lewis. And uh, yeah, like the whole country is weeping as a result. It's dangerous though, you know, if the bear's hibernating. I don't, bears don't hibernate, that's the first thing, isn't it? The bears I'm hi- pretty sure they do. Really? Yeah. I think bears hibernate. <laughs> we have to Google it. That's the premise of the advert, so they've got well, I thought the bear wrong. was just sleepy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure bears. Oh, maybe they do. Yeah, they what, do. Uh, do they? Yeah. Yeah, bears hibernate. Okay. Anyway, so on that basis, though, quite dangerous, really, to wake the bear up. Drag him out into the cold. Yeah, during his hibernation, he'd probably be dead by spring. Yeah, I know. He's not. He's, he's not hibernating. <laughs> he's frozen to death. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a horrible tale, really, isn't it? Ultimately, well, we're, our friend Dave, who was actually at China Red uh, this weekend, he lives in London, works in London, works in advertising, uh, and he said that he met someone who was involved in the making of this year's John Lewis advert, and he was like, "Oh, is this good? Is it?" And she went, "Well." We've done it again. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it had like a premiere at a hotel in London with like a three-course dinner and people gave speeches and stuff. But it's not even that good this year. I mean, the snowman one was stupid. But I, I didn't can, like the snowman I one I can see all. why people... I like the boy one. I can see why people liked the snowman one. I can see why people cried at it. The one, yeah, the one with the kid two years ago with that Smith song, that was good. Good. But this one, I don't think it's a very good advert and it's certainly not gonna make me cry i mean the first it's like yeah i can understand why people cry at that but this this isn't well, it's, a yeah. tear jerking it's nicely animated it's pretty uh i'll give it that which is good i mean i guess it's long been a thing that you know advertise you know a lot of people said that advertising is now the kind of center of creativity isn't it really yeah in some respects i can see why people care because advertising is pretty good at times but so this is i'll just I'll quote someone i know on facebook he said uh, just yesterday, well done to John Lewis, M&S and Sky for lovely Christmas adverts this year. <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah. yeah, I won't even tell you what that made me want to do. Right. <laughs> but that's the thing, isn't it? Because don't cry at an advert. It's an advert. Like You've lost. You've yeah, lost the yeah. life if you're crying at an advert. You've lost the game if you're <laughs> crying at an advert. I read a, uh, an article uh, on the Telegraph website about it. And, and they sort of uh, described what happened in the advert, and it came out the day before the advert aired. And in the comments, someone wrote, "Thanks a lot for ruining the advert for me." Like, you can't ruin an advert. <laughs> Stop it. It's so cynical as well. Like everything about, I'm getting really annoyed now, but like every aspect of it irritates me because, like, the first one with the kid, it's sort of like, yeah, it made people cry, and it. They obviously that's what they were trying to do, but it, it maybe possibly took them by surprise just how big a reaction it got. But now it's like they have to make people cry. And it seems so cynical to me that I just imagine them sitting around in a room like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do this year? And someone's like, bear, hair, <laughs> hibernation, alarm clock, tears. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Oh, I hate it. Oh. I literally hate well, I guess it. The other, the, the other way to look at it, though, is that, you know, if you stripped away the John Lewis logo at the end, it's just it is just a, a nice little short thing, isn't it? So nice little short film. Don't be too. Yes, but the, but it's it's you can't strip away the John Lewis thing at the end. It's if you're crying and then the words John Lewis come up <laughs> on the screen, like like you say, you've lost. I'm afraid you lost. Uh, the other comment in the Telegraph article that was really good was that someone wrote, uh, "It's ironic, really, because the new John Lewis home store in Ashford is built on an area known as the Warren. There used to be hares there." So there you go. Yeah, we should maybe we should pitch a cricket-themed Christmas advert at John Lewis next year. Right. I don't know what would happen. Something to do with Bob Willis hibernating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's about it 
for this week. By the way, you fully recovered from the 200th episode, Tony? You fully recovered from all the, from the, after, the, the party. after parties yeah, and stuff? Yeah, just about. A lot of people coming up to me in the street, just saying, why? <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was quite exhausting to try and explain. It was good, wasn't it? Because we waited like 200 episodes and then had the worst audio quality that we've had for quite a while. Yeah, it was a, big, a special treat. Big echo. I don't really know what happened there. I didn't get it in the uh, in the edit. It didn't seem to be there. And then you, you you mentioned it to me. I listened and yeah, there was an echo. And I was like, oh, is it really bad? And then you just text back, we need a production meeting. <laughs> I was like, oh God, am I being fired? Yeah. Worrying. Uh, you're still here. You, you, yeah. You've made it. Well, uh, well, yeah, as I say, that is it for this week. If you like the World Cricket Show, do something about it. Go onto the internet. Our website is cricketshow.net. You can find links on there to our Facebook, Twitter, and email. Our email is worldcricketshow at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at cricketshow. You can also follow Tony at Tony Cover. Like us on Facebook as well, uh, which is facebook.com slash cricketshow. Uh, and if you're only going to do one thing this week, make it leaving us a review on iTunes. Uh, we really appreciate all of those. They do really help us out in the rankings and in attracting new listeners and all of that stuff. So thanks to everybody who has done that. But yeah, that's it. Next week we're going to be back with our Australia preview. So there's lots to look forward to. Uh, and yeah, have a good week, Tone. Cheers, mate. With only eight or nine days to go, or ten <laughs> days to go until the ashes. Somewhere between the six countdown. and 15 days to go. The countdown is on. Yeah. Stay in school, gang. And we'll see you next time. Bye for now. See ya. Can smell your fear. Oh, nothing funnier than coughing, isn't it? Right. (laughs) Oh, well, this weekend, what are you doing? What am I doing? Don't know, really. What are you doing? China Red. Are you going to China (laughs) Red? We should go, though. (laughs) Right, should we talk about... (laughs) You just got the doona, though. The last thing you want is a doona, because you're just going to fall asleep. (laughs) You need, like, a, a... Bed of nails or something. Jonathan Trott's just blocking. <laughs> I can just, just grip that dinner, pull it a bit tighter. Yeah. And then drift off. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.